It's Thursday again, tell everybody to lock in Grab some popcorn, a drink, and go and throw your AirPods in It's a one-hour show, constantly speaking facts Bulletproof stats are always shooting from Matt And when it comes to Kyle, you getting numbers and style Jake is gonna educate you, he has that knowledge on fire Player, step your game up, don't be sluggish or lazy Or Jimmy J might hit you with a shaky baby Catch him on YouTube or any podcast platform Breaking all the news down like Shaq does the backboards No hot takes, this is where the hottest debate's at Now kick your feet up, cause it's time for Straight Facts What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to Straight Facts, a sports show that educates, entertains, brought to you by the Up On Game Presents Network. It's my guys, Jake Galley and Stat Matt Robinson. I'm James Jackson. No Kyle Sirik with us today. He's out being the great man that we know that he is. He said his girlfriend's birthday is this weekend, but he's like, I want to start doing stuff for her on Wednesday. And we applauded the young gentleman. We said, attaboy, attaboy. Yeah. Treat your Fitting cream in the light, schedule, so. man. Uh, attaboy. Maybe bend in the schedule. And and smart man because the finals come on at eight. So you know me. Let's, let's, let's go out to dinner at six. He's a tactician. <laughs> Statistician, that man. Uh, uh, <laughs> truly, 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 he is. Um, but we'll miss him for this episode. But I do got my guys Jake Alley and Stanley Robinson. How y'all doing? Are y'all staying like cool out here? It's, it's been hot, man. My house is incredibly hot. Like not only is it hot. Okay, let me. Uh, let me go down this go story go real quick. It. Go into so it. Obviously, go into the, it. Bug, the bugs start to come back uh, <laughs> when it gets warmer out. And when I first moved into this house, it was kind of warm out. And there was like a little spider in the window. I don't really like spiders, but he was off on his own, wasn't coming in and interfering. And I had seen much scarier bugs. So I want him to kill those bugs. Mm-hmm. So I let him rock. Literally same spider in that window up until about a week ago. I find him dead in my windowsill, replaced by a different spider. So I don't know. I have a couple working theories. Either (laughs) that spider was killed by something out there. That's terrifying to think about because it had gotten pretty big. Right. Number two, that's its baby. Or like number three, that other spider killed it. So either way, I'm not good. Like that was my ride or die spider for a year. I think think it's option C because... It just looks like that spider is just basking in the victory of the, you know, it really is. Spoils. I'll send you yeah, a picture. It's yeah, crazy. I vote option C. He's on Pride Rock. And two, you better hope it's not option B because if that's his baby, spiders give birth to like thousands of spiders at one time, which means that's what I thought. For, yeah, this one was too big to be a baby. Yeah, which means it's their house now and you got to move. All right. If, the, yeah. if, that's, if that's the case. Uh, but let's but let's get into it because we got much bigger things to talk about than the spider in Jake's window. So the NBA finals are in the middle. And when we had our episode last time, we were, we were previewing the finals. It was the day before game one. Fast forward a week and we've missed two games, game one and games two. Games three, game three is getting played tonight as we record full disclosure. So we'll, we'll table that and, and frame that for the rest of the pod. Before we get into that, we really got to talk about games one and games two because completely different games, right? Like flipped on their head. Game one was dominated a lot by Golden State and the Celtics come storming back with a 120 to 108 victory. And if I would have told you that, Matt, you would have been like, like we said last week, oh, that was because of Jason Tatum. He had to have gone off. He had to have gotten going. And then you look at the box score and you're like, oh, everybody but Jason Tatum got going. So frame Real quick, let's frame game one real quick, Matt. What happened in game one? Your takeaway. Game one, I had a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> Watching Al Horford Tough. do a go on a ceiling run by himself in the fourth quarter of the NBA Finals was just like surreal for me to watch. And like my every time Al Horford scored, my dad and I just like looked at each other with just like with just like Yeah. Like <laughs> big and, buckets. And it it but uh, it's the Celtics showed mental toughness. They, everyone, it looked so much like Warriors just going to roll through game one. Once they had the like 15 point lead in the third quarter. Okay. This is what it is. And then the Celtics said, no, we're going to win this. It doesn't matter that our best player can't shoot at all. We're going to rely on our depth and we're going to get a win in golden state. And they did, which is their job. Um, and it just shows that this is, there it's a matchup of honestly it's like 
the Warriors are the team that the Celtics are aspiring to become, not just from a champion's perspective, but from like a mentality perspective mm-hmm. as well. And yeah, a coming of age in this finals for sure. And it just seems like if there's one team that could potentially beat the Warriors in a good shot to great shot competition, it's the Boston Celtics. And like specifically Al Horford, like I honestly, Matt, it is a horror show when Al Horford gets going in the NBA finals. Uh, we don't have to get into the Al Horford Sixers time here, but like, <laughs> I do think that, I mean, like just a, a, a big presence overall, like in terms of, you know, a center's presence down low, when Al Horford's winning that battle, the Celtics, even without Jason Tatum, as you said, are able to function. And I'm also, you know, Jason Tatum did not have a good game one, three of 17 from the field, 13 assists, like Jason Tatum. And we had the, I bring it up like a couple episodes ago, like any wing who is your primary ball handler should also be like your distributor. And that's kind of what he's turning into where his shot mm-hmm. isn't going. He's able to get others look. So I was very impressed game one uh, that Tatum was able to kind of meld his game to whatever the game flow was. I mean, we've talked about the development of, of Jason Tatum. We, we've been maybe the only sports podcast in the country that has been high on the Boston Celtics all season. So we, we've, we've talked about the maturation of Jason Tatum's game just within the season alone, become from going from just a scorer to a all around basketball player and distributor. And it showed like, that's why it was so important for him to, to get that going in the regular season, because it was an, it was an innate part of his game. Like it didn't, it didn't have to, a switch didn't have to flip when he wasn't scoring and said, okay, I need to, I need to start passing the ball. I need to start getting other teammates involved. It's already a part of his game. It's already what he does. He was used to that. So when his shot's not following, now it's just go deeper into that distributing bag, um, turn up the intensity on defense and affect the game in pretty much every other way. And that, that's what he did. Like that was so impressive of him to do, but I, I the Boston Celtics, others, showed how important they are, I think, in both games. Because they won them game one, and then when they don't show up in game two, you see Boston get run out the gym. Like Jason Tatum shows up shows up in game two, and the, and the Celtics' others don't. Al Horford has his down game. Marcus Smart doesn't shoot as well. Grant Williams doesn't show up. It was Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown early, and Derek White. So that that's, I think, really interesting because we talked about that. Whose others were going to be more important, the Celtics or the Warriors? And right now... I'm seeing the Celtics others having more impact in games one and games two than I do the Warriors others. Am I wrong about that? Uh, I don't know about that because the Warriors in game two, the Warriors others, it not from a scoring perspective, but just from an overall perspective. I think Gary Payton Jr. had such a huge impact on the game in game two. The -hmm. fact that he was able to play instead of Iguodala, who uh, at this point is just washed, honestly. Um, and he picked up Tatum from full court the whole game. That's that's what he did. Just I'm gonna press you full game. I'm, I'm gonna annoy you. And uh, by and the Jason se- Tatum went off. But no, no, no. That but by the time the second half kicked in, he was tired and they were missing shots, and the Celtics couldn't score in the third quarter. And by the time the fourth quarter came around, it was over by that point. So just that exhaustion of ty- like. Iguodala can't do that. Iguodala is old. He has to pick his spots, and he's a great on-man defender still. But someone like Gary Payton Jr. can just annoy you for a whole game. And uh, while the Warriors stemmed the tide in the first half, once the second half hit, they just kind of ended it. They had the third quarter Warriors. So the question was, whose others are better or more important to their team? I I think I think our exact question was, who other whose others are going to like have a bigger impact. I would say you so have to the game more. Yeah, it ha- I I in my opinion it has to be Boston and maybe I'm a little overreactive, but like their others are pretty high high profile. Like Al Horford as we saw, I think 26 points game 1, 2 points in game 2. Uh so like you go down the list, Marcus Smart defensive player of the year, Robert Williams was a candidate for defensive player of the year. And when you go over to the Warriors side, you have Steph, Clay Thompson, who, and, and honestly, you could probably now throw in Jordan Poole, where if any of them are like on, on, it doesn't matter what anyone but, else is doing. Okay, well, that, but that's a little bit of my point, because even in a game two blowout win, was Clay Thompson on? 
they left Clay Thompson out there with all of the second and third stringers to get a look, and he, he didn't score, and he still didn't score. And Jordan well, Poole only decided to score when the game was out of reach. I now, disagree now, with that. Now, now Jordan not, not decided to score. He hit the big shot at the end of the first half. But watch the first quarter of Jordan Poole when, uh, when it's still a close game back and forth. Terrible. He exploded in the third quarter, which is yeah. when they put the game right. away. He was really bad in the first half, though. So uh, so it's, my, my point is, like, you still don't get that great of an output from the Warriors role players, even in a win. But when the Celtics won, it was all of their role players hitting shots, all of their role players affecting the game. And then when they didn't, when they didn't step up for that help, the Celtics lose, even with Jalen Brown off to a great start, even with Jason Tatum pacing the game pretty much the whole game. When the Celtics role players didn't step up, they didn't hit shots. They were they didn't win the game. They found themselves out of the game. That's what I mean by impactful. And yeah, uh, I think a lot of that's just because of the nature of the game one versus game two. Game one was high scoring. Game two was low scoring. So the Celtics role players scored a lot more because they had 120 <laughs> points, while the Warriors had 107. And and what I was saying with Gary Payton Jr. also applies to Kevon Looney, who had a great game two, six of six. Mm-hmm. 12 points, seven rebounds, and even players that aren't getting really any love because it's it's like they had three points. Like Otto Porter had three points, but he also had three steals in 14 minutes. Plus Otto Porter. Yeah, yeah Otto Porter gave him a great minute. Yeah. That, so it's not always, oh, like it's, 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 I think the Warriors, others did exactly what they were supposed to do in game two. The Celtics others did exactly what they're supposed to do in game one. I just think they're different kinds of others, but they well, both are equally um Im- were equally important to the game. The Celtics game one win and the Warriors game two win. I-, I think the more I think about it, you know, I was really worried after, like really worried after game one. I turned the game off once the Celtics really started to take hold. I couldn't take mm. it mentally. I, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not going <laughs> to su- subject myself to that. But the more I think about it, uh, I think this might be a Warriors series because, like, like you're saying, like I get it, Tatum didn't have a good game. They still win, but they win off the back of Smart, Horford, and was it Derek White, Derek White shooting seventy yeah. percent on twenty three three point attempts? They sixteen of twenty three, seventy percent. So I don't yeah, know if you can bet on that to continue, or if I, it's I, maybe not seventy percent, you know, from the field, but I can. I can from three. On, that was from yeah, three, from three, which is yeah. nuts. And but I but I can bank on Jason Tatum drawing attention, kicking to his others, and then they got to make shots. Like in game two, they were missing open shots. Yeah, like, no, they're not missing contested shots. They're missing open shots. So if those shots fall, which I they have good shooter, Grant Williams, good shooter, Peyton Pritchard, yeah. good shooter, Derek White, good shooter. Like I, I can bank on them making shots when open. I mean, I just think that that's like the variance you're seeing where it's like, are they going to hit open shots? And like, maybe it's just a, a course correction. Like, I'm sure I I'm, don't have the numbers here in front of me. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Al Horford, zero for zero, three-point attempts. Game yeah, two, regressive, smart regressive over three. Yeah, here and, we go. Uh, White is shooting high. He went four of 13 from the field, but two of four from yeah. three. So, right, that's a big regression to the mean. So maybe we see kind of like a middling of that. Well, let's let's give talk about the others and and not always scoring affecting the game. I think Draymond Green was one of the most impressive players on the floor in Game Two, and the box score would have you thinking he barely played. But his his aggression, his intensity, his his ability to disrupt Boston and get in their head, you know, was was invaluable for the Warriors in Game Two and led them to that win. So. When you when you look at that continuing, if that keeps going for the Warriors, if that if Draymond's able to keep that up, then yeah, the Warriors could stem the tide. But that that was imperative for the Warriors too, and I think that kind of energy, you know, was contagious for the Warriors. That's why you see the role players not shooting as as well. That's why you see players not stepping up when Draymond is able to set that defensive tone and that energy for the rest of the Warriors team. You see how much it frustrates the the Boston Celtics, who a lot of these players are in this for the first time. And he he knows when he's got a puppy in the shed, right? Like he knows when he's got a young pup who's never been here before and I can really get them rattled. Draymond did his job beautifully in game two, like a, another role player that stepped up. And, and um, then, well, go ahead, go ahead, Jake. I was just going to say him and Smart are like 
carbon copies, that's, different size that's players. Must-see but... TV. That's must-see TV right there. When they, when, they, when they get the flop wars, it is must-see <laughs> TV. It is so funny. Look, there's, there's a play. Uh, I want to say it's like second or third quarter. It's middle of the game. Jason Tatum is driving to the basket, getting fouled by somebody else. But when they go to the, the baseline point of view, behind the play, behind the action, you just see Draymond pulling Marcus Smart to the ground and Marcus Smart falling on top of you. Like they're having their own little game while the game is going on. It's, it's yo, it's so funny it's to like see. It's like a screen and screen sideshow sort of like. But someone's going to have to. It's weird, but that's important. Like whoever who wins that battle behind the scenes, that's important because yeah. they're both playing a role over there. And if Draymond wins that little battle, Draymond gets in the head of Marcus Smart. Draymond gets a foul of Marcus Smart. Draymond, <laughs> Draymond wins that matchup. Like <laughs> Draymond, he won that rep. The so, Broad Street bullies, man. He's yeah, an enforcer. He really, he really, he really have to at the you know you really have to keep an eye on that. Before we move on, I got to give our guy Kyle his credit, man. When we talk about the others stepping up, this man, Derek White, has been the best role player on either team through the first two games. He's been great. And and at the trade deadline, Kyle said that Derek White was low-key the best acquisition at the trade deadline, and we all laughed at him. That is crazy. I forgot he said that. Every single one of us laughed at him. And we're thinking, what? <laughs> James Harden went to the Sixers. Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond went to the Nets. Karis LeVert went to the Cavs. Oh, Where are they man. now? Like, what? Yeah, I don't got to get into what happened with James Harden and the Sixers. That not working out. But Ben Simmons never ended up playing for the Nets. Seth Curry got hurt. Andre Drummond is oh, Andre Drummond. Um, the Cavs ended up crapping out, even with Karis LeVert on their team. They didn't end the season as hot as they were down the stretch of the season. And here goes Derek White hitting big shots, shooting very efficiently, being one of the best players on the floor for the Celtics in the NBA Finals. So this is Kyle's victory lap. I'm, I'm, I'm giving him his just due because mm-hmm. we certainly wasn't we weren't on that wave when he said <laughs> certainly weren't on that wave. Matt is cringing so hard for all who are. No, it's the Celtics. Like, it's the fact it's the Celtics, like. The Sixers, this isn't some like unattainable level of like team talent that the Celtics are playing with. This isn't like uh like when LeBron was in his prime and you just couldn't beat him and whatever. Like this is the there's the Sixers have they have Joel Embiid, they have to be able to build a team that's better than this Boston team. Like it's it's so possible and we're just gonna screw it up. Because we don't well, do the smart little Derek White stuff. Well, you know what uh, the Celtics did that a lot of teams don't do? The Warriors did it too. Is they they understood that a hard time and adversity is just that. Like, taking lumps from season to season is that. They are growing pains. And when you allow your young stars like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, like Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond, when you allow them to grow with each other, go through growing pains together. One day, one season, you get over the hump. And a lot of teams see problems in one year and feel the need to, to, to get rid of everything, to flip stuff on its head in the offseason. And, and instead of allowing players to mature through those growing pains, through that process, both of these franchises are a product of that. And to I think fair, a lot of teams to be fair to the that. Sixers, you can't have a player grow and mature when he doesn't show up. No, Matt, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Not everything is about the Sixers. One, no, not, but we were comparing just the Sixers. Sixers no, 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 but we are. Compa- I com- I made a comparison from the Sixers how they've mi- mismanaged the way to get their talented players to the promised land. While the Celtics have been able to be more successful at it. Let me right, let me kick right. you a little a little copium here, a little cope. Uh, the Sixers did have their chance. That was last year when they were the number one seed with a new coach like Boston has. Uh, or he may have his second year or first year. First year. First year. Uh, you know, same team. The difference is Boston has a bunch of guys who are committed, bought in, and ready to work and improve themselves. And the Sixers' second best player was not. So that that's and then and then forced his way off the team. So like those are the real differences. I wouldn't feel too bad about the whole Boston thing. If anything, yeah, it, they've it, earned it. Yeah. It, 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 and that, I guess that that's my point. Like you you you. 
you know, you go through these pains as when they're when they're young stars, knowing their potential, knowing how good they can be, knowing how much their their game has to grow, and they allowed their stars to see the other side of that. Now they're they're just reaping the benefits of that. So they were under um, five hundred in January, and they didn't yeah, panic. Tough. Yeah, that's tough. Um, j- oh, okay, because I don't oh, a little. <laughs> There's a misclick. <laughs> Jake said Jake's monitor said he had something to say, so the class was eagerly waiting to see what he had to say. But we'll we'll move on to the rest of the series because game three starts tonight. Um, so for for games three, four, five, and and the rest of the series on, if there are to be, both of these teams are going to have quote unquote like we, what we like to call make or break players and players that if they play well. For these teams, it's probably going to lead to them hosting a Larry O'Brien trophy. If they don't, it's probably going to lead to them watching the other team host the Larry O'Brien trophy and not winning the finals. So we can go from team to team or player to player and really see who they make or break players for each team. Um, for the Celtics, it, it, we saw it, right? And Kyle touched on it as one of his most important players going into the series. It's Jalen Brown. And Jalen Brown is, is going to continue to be an X factor. If you look at kind of the the bare bones of games one and game two, it might have you thinking differently because they win game one when he's not that much of a factor. They lose game two when he gets out to this tour at start. But as the series goes on, Jalen Brown is only going to continue to be just more and more and more important for them. Um, game one does end up with 24-7-5, and five, two steals and a block. Game two comes out hot and cools down, 17 points, six rebounds, uh, and two assists on only 29% from the field. So what are we expecting for Jalen Brown as he comes back home to Boston now? He's not going to go two of 14 in the, like he started three of three game game two, Mm. and then he just couldn't buy a basket (laughs) at all. Two of 14. That's not going to keep up. Jalen Brown is such a, like you can count on him to be, to have at least like 19 points, like 90% of the time. You and, love the 19 points barometer. Yep. That's, 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 that's to barometer. Be, I want to be clear. He's definitely, definitely, definitely better than Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, it, it's, it's just, he, he's not going to play like that two games in a row. He's mad at himself for a lot letting a good start slip from both the Celtics perspective and him personally perspective. Uh, there's other guys on the list who I don't think their level of talent's nearly as high. I, this is a guy, he'll get it together. He's a stud. He's the second best player on a team that can win the finals. Yeah, I, what I what I saw, Jake, real quick, what I saw in game two is he gets off to that hot start, and then the Warriors have what they think is the ultimate equalizer in Draymond playing the Dr. Strange mind games. And they kind of either, either Draymond said it or the Warriors said it like, sick him. Like, go go get him. Go Scarlet Witch his mind, and then you see you, and what happens. They get in a little skirmish. Draymond like almost tries to pull his shoulders <laughs> down, and then Jalen Brown after that is not the Jalen Brown that started the game. So it's it's keeping your composure throughout all of that. There's so much energy in the finals. There's so much momentum, such an atmosphere in the NBA finals that I think if, if you don't pace yourself and stay calm, stay poised throughout the game, then you're susceptible to kind of falling off the clip you know, in the, in the second half or, or not sustaining yourself. So if, if Jalen Brown does that, just keeps his head, doesn't allow the, the moment, the moment to get big players to get under his skin. I see him being and staying consistent. Yeah. He's always been an interesting, like his and Tatum's dynamic working together has always really interested me because obviously in game one, uh, he's really involved like seven rebounds, five assists aside from scoring 24 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a game in which Tatum really, as we said, embraced more of the facilitator role, and overall, that game, I mean, it's, it's I guess, confirmation bias because they won the game, but like, and they were hitting the shots. But when that happened, all of the role players, including Jalen Brown, I'm not saying he's a role player, but I do think he falls under Tatum in the hierarchy of the offense. Of course, of course. Um, I, I, I think that he really benefits from that creation where, and, and it, can, it could be the Draymond th- thing and letting the game kind of, uh, losing the handle of the game in the third quarter can kind of throw you for a loop, but I, I would say if they can continue to play team basketball, like he's going to be someone who one-on-one within within their offensive system can really pick apart some of the lower-level defenders that aren't Draymond Green uh, on ball. 
Yeah, and, and Kyle also did a great job of pointing this out when he talked about Jalen Brown, is when Jalen Brown is that 24 to 25 per game scorer, it takes the Boston Celtics to a whole new level, puts so much pressure on the defense, and you see that. Games one, he comes out with 24 points. Game two, he comes out with 17 points. If Jalen Brown stays at that, like he set that standard for himself. Through the second round of the conference finals, he became a 25 per game score in the playoffs. That's the bar you've set. So now going against the toughest competition that you're going to see in the championship round, I think you have to stay at that level. If he starts to go down, that's when the Celtics start to lose the grip on the series. If he stays at that 24, 25, 26 per game through the rest of the series, I'm very confident in Boston scoring output and their ability to at least keep pace with the Warriors if they're not able to stop them. But we can move on to another make-or-break player. This. Y'all got to not cringe through this whole thing. You got to try not to make it about the Sixers. But that boy, Big Al, is showing up. At least he showed up in game one. Very impressive. 26 points on 75% from the field. Six for eight from three. Which, by the way, Al Horford's shooting stroke is the ugliest yet most beautiful shooting stroke I've ever seen. Like, it's it doesn't look good. But every time he releases the ball, I feel like it's going to go in. Like, I, I'm confident when Al Horford shoots from three that he's going to make it. But then in game two, I was very wrong. Two points or 25% from the field. Didn't attempt a three-point um, in game two the first time in the postseason that he has yet to do that. So there's there's the exact pattern you're looking for. We talked about it a little bit in our game one and game two summary. But Al Horford's on in game one. They win. He's not on in game two. So how what do we expect from Al Horford going the rest of the series, Jake? Uh, I think that, I mean, game two... They lost the physical battle, I think, it was evident by Kwan mm-hmm. Looney having a good game. But beyond that, the Warriors made it a lot more difficult on Al Horford by running more pick and roll. And I don't have the numbers in front of me um, in terms of how many pick and rolls in game one versus game two. But I do know, I saw a stat, that they were shooting like 70, or Golden State was shooting 70 to 80% on uh, pick and roll drop coverage. So when the big doesn't come up to support and like, if Al Horford has to come out to the perimeter and now you've gotten a switch on Al Horford, not only is he running around chasing Steph Curry or Jordan Poole or whoever the you know ball handler might be, now he's winded getting back on offense and he might not be as effective down there. So he only took four shots, I think, in game two. Um, and again, I think that that's mostly, for, yeah, one for four, mostly because he's running around on the perimeter and having to do a lot more on defense. Yeah, the Warriors, we talked about the Warriors offense being so, you know, flowing, the ball moving, they get everybody involved, and Steph has a lot of off the ball, running off screens, catching it in his spots, and they haven't been that way through the first two games, I've been surprised, it's been a lot of Steph Curry on ball, and we're going to put the Celtics players in pick and roll situations and make them have to guard Steph like that instead of chasing him around screens and allowing him to switch, allowing them to switch that way. Um, and it's it's working. Like the, the the Celtics aren't used to how high you have to come up on an on ball screen with Steph Curry. Like you see Al Horford and Daniel Tice. Like yes, sometimes they're in drop coverage, but sometimes Daniel Tice comes off to defending a screen and his heels are above the three point line. Yeah. And to any big to any seven footer, I'm up. I'm up farther than I want to be. Like yeah. my heels are are twenty two and a half feet beyond the basket. I think I'm up but you're still three feet away from Steph Curry because that ball screen was set 10 feet from the three-point line. So you're not up, and now there's a three-pointer going over your head. So, <laughs> and on top of that, you're, like, uncomfortable because you're still yeah. more up. So, like, you're still not – you feel like yeah. you're wrong, and you're wrong, but you're actually you're wrong because you're not enough. You're even more wrong than you yeah. thought you were. Yeah. And, and not only are your heels on the three-point line, but you're on your heels ready, ready to retreat thinking you're up so, so far. So – a lot of things happen in Steph Curry, and they put Al Horford in those situations. And it's it's sink or swim out there. Either you come out and guard Steph Curry, and now you're in an island, now you're in the ocean, or you go under the screen, and, and now there's a three being fired up. So um, I did notice that a lot of those drop coverages, they were doing like the, the rear view contest where the big drops, and then the guard goes up around the screen and contests Steph Curry from behind. It didn't work. You tried it. You yeah, saw it. It didn't, it didn't work. Sort of yeah, thing. that – that adjustment's got to be made for game three. But going back to Al Horford in game three through the rest of the series, I do think the Warriors found that if 
Kavon Ludi. Like that, that matchup is between Al Horford and Kavon Ludi. And Kavon Ludi, being the younger player, has to be more ener- like has to have more energy than Al Horford. Like I think he got outworked in Game One, and that's going to be interesting to see because Kavon Ludi's got more of a motor just being younger than Al Horford. If he outworks him down low. Like he beat him on both sides of the ball. If he does that, then Al Horford's not going to be a, a major factor in the series. And that's going to lead to the Warriors, you know, taking on the trophy. Mm-hmm. And also Al Horford's rebound totals are were he's averaging seven for the series. And if you look at what he did against Miami, games game seven, he had fourteen rebounds. Game six, he had nine. In game uh four, he had thirteen. In game three, he had fourteen. He is not getting to where he wants to be um, from a rebounding perspective this year so far. He hasn't been bad, obviously, but when you play the position, the center, power forward, wherever Horford's kind of playing, um, seven rebounds are going to, you're going to get seven. That's the number you're going to hit at least. And he hasn't found a spot to really have one of those 14, 13 rebound games. And it's one of those things where if Boston's role players are missing, he needs to be there to get some of those offensive rebounds. Or And on the other side, obviously, make sure he gets rebounds that the Warriors don't scoop up for a second chance. Yeah, and, and I will come to Al Horford's defense a little bit in terms of the scoring output for Game 2 because Game 1 and Game 2 were much different. Game 1, he's seeing his best offensive player struggle and – as a role player, which Al Horford is a big role player, his role player, as a role player, much easier to hit shots when everybody else is hitting shots too. Yeah. So if I'm Al Horford and Daryl White splashing down, Marcus Smart splashing down, um, Grant Williams, and everybody splashing down, I'm getting in on the action too. So there goes game one. Game two, my star is on. Jason Tatum is on. Jalen Brown started torrid. Yeah. So I'm I'm not. In the set, the offense is working as it should be. Let me get out the way. <laughs> yeah, the top two stars are working. Now, all of a sudden, Tatum or Jalen Brown goes cold. Jason Tatum's not pacing as we thought he was going to throughout the entire game. Now, all of a sudden, you want me to try to pick this thing up in the third quarter? Like, I know the Celtics made a, a, a big comeback on the back of Al Horford in game one, but that was still within all the role players in the flow of the game. That's not how game two was going. And I don't hold Al Horford for not being able to pick it up when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown drop it. That's not Al Horford's role to me. So the fact that he didn't do that in game two is not, you know, that's not, I, I don't hold him to that. I don't punish him for that. Right. The reason why I'm picking Golden State in this series is because I think the Celtics are reliant on players like Al Horford, who is just kind of unfair for you to expect them to be on every single night. And I just think, when he's on, that's a great bonus. He'll get you a game or maybe a second game in the series. But I mm-hmm. just think he won't be on enough. Um, and I, I really think that is the difference between the Warriors and Celtics. Well, I think I don't think they're relying on Al Horford to, you know, to 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 be one of the main scoring outputs for their team. I just think they're relying on Al Horford to be impactful in the game in the way Al Horford can, but not, agree, not looking but for him to, to, it, to be one of the top scorers or anything like that. But they won against Milwaukee and they won against Miami because in seven, so very thin margins mm-hmm. and Horford scoring won them a game in both of those series. And to be fair, he already did that this series. So you could right. argue he doesn't need box, a second box one. Che- box checked, box checked. But it's just, I just feel like he might need another one, and I don't think he'll mm-hmm. give it to him. That's fair. I yeah. think, and, and on the series too, we got Marcus Smart games. Yeah. That's a game that we haven't gotten. That that that's I'm looking for that one as well. I think with Al Horford, like because of the looks that Golden State can give you in terms of like Draymond at center, if you want to go really small and put, you know, you can run Otto Porter out there as well. Like maybe not as center, but as a forward, there are looks that they can more looks that they can give Al Horford to get him out of where he wants to be, as we've been talking about, than like Boston has answers, which again, as you, as you said, Matt, like I'm, I'm still pretty confident in golden state in this series. Boston did their job already, man. It's true. It's true. Still one on the road. We did that. I knew for a fact, golden state was going to win game two. (laughs) I was surprised it was a blowout. Desperation. We can't go to Beantown down two. I can't do it. 
can't do it. So desperation, we get our Energizer Bunny back, the quote-unquote heart and soul of our team, Gary Payton II. We get him back in dramatic fashion, and now Draymond got something to prove. Of, co- of course Golden State was going to win that game. And if I'm Boston Ime Adoka, like, yeah. like I'm the- Draymond. What do you think was going to happen? Like, Draymond's going to be on his super villain stuff tonight. In Boston, I'm just absolutely super, super, super great. Let's talk about those Warriors as they go to Boston. Um, because one, before we move away from the Celtics, for everyone listening, everyone watching, we realize that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, um, and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson are very important players to these teams. When we talk about the make or break players, we are talking about outside of the, the given ones, the guys that we notice the pattern of when they play well. When they played well in games one and games two, their team won. When they didn't play well in games one or game two, their team lost. Everyone knows about Steph and company and Jason Tatum and company. We're here to tell y'all what y'all don't know. And what y'all don't know about the Warriors is this man Jordan Poole stock is like the NASDAQ. Because one day it's skyrocketing and the next day it's plummeting. And it it can't be more fickle. Game one, nine points on 29% from the field. Four turnovers, a 135 defensive rating. Game two, in start hop, it ended up nice. 17 points on 43 from the field. Uh, zero turnovers. Uh, he scored 14 of that 17 points in the second half. Like I said, the first half was not pretty for Jordan Poole, but it up, ended up being a pool party. And we talk about that that momentum that Golden State has in those middle quarters, and it really started with one of the best shots I've seen all season, a Jordan Poole in and out tween standstill pull from 44, and it was absolutely water. So, Matt, talk about Jordan Poole and how pivotal he is going down the rest of the, the stretch of the series for the Warriors. Jordan Poole, that the fact, the way, just he had five points in the game at the point he was shooting three of nine from the field. I'm pretty sure going into the end of the with 30 seconds ago in the third quarter, and he does a step back three, bang. Then he shoots a half court step back that he planned. wasn't like a just off the cuff. I need to shoot times runners out. He was like, he looked up, look at the clock. Okay, Steph taught me how to do this. I'm gonna take this <laughs> dribble, step up, and shoot it from a while, and he made it again. And those mm-hmm. two shots make the turned it from a 17 point to a 23 point game. It ended the game. The game was over in those 30 seconds by Jordan Poole. And the fact that you can have a guy who is so confident in himself that even when he's cold and even when Steph Curry and Klay Thompson are there on his team and Andrew Wiggins even, he said, no, I can do the step back contested three near the end of the quarter. I can shoot the half court shot. And that level of confidence and the fact that all it's something he's been doing all postseason long is such a big factor for the Warriors. Because he'll have a stinker, and they'll lose the stinker. Then <laughs> he'll, have, he'll have 30 the next game. So it, it, it was amazing to watch Jordan Poole struggle mightily through that first half. Um, comes in in the first quarter, doesn't get off to a good start. Starts the second quarter, and... They go on, they, they build some kind of momentum. I think they go on like a 5-0 run or something like that. Get a turnover, and then this man, Jordan Poole, about like the eight-minute mark of the second quarter, takes a, a out-of-rhythm 30-footer from the top of the key, the Brickashaw Ferguson, and, and Steve Kerr takes him right out. And at that moment, I'm like, we're not seeing Jordan Poole for the rest of the second quarter. Like, we're not. Like, he's done. That's it. And then he gets a chance with about a minute left, Matt, like you says, goes back-to-back in these uh, crazy shots, and all of a sudden, it's like Jordan Poole is, is here again. Like it, It's like that first half didn't happen. I thought it was really crazy to see how how streaky and how hot he can get real yeah, quick. He, and he is like that. Like, like the difference between someone who's good at basketball, you could be good at basketball and not be a hooper, right? Like, do you believe that? Like, Tobias Harris, <laughs> I don't know if you could call it like, oh, Tobias Harris hoops. Yo. No, he doesn't. Andre Drummond doesn't hoop. Like, he's not a hooper. Like, Tobias catching a straight ball. I think there's a distinction between, like, there's another level to it a bucket getter. Like, I, like, they are able to find, and what amazes me about this is they're able to, you know, he was the end of the, end of the first round guy, Jordan Poole, maybe second round Mm -hmm. guy. 
not hailed out of Michigan. They bring him in, are able to coach him up, and now he's... We haven't seen, like, a big explosion yet. I think it is coming. But it just goes to show, like, the Warrior system can really turn someone into a next-level playmaker. And what is sickening to think about, right? He's pulling up from half-court. Imagine the next time down in an alternate universe, here comes LaMelo Ball, who they could have had another half-court. He points down half-court jump shot mm-hmm. off the bench. Like that, like, so, like, I, the Warriors are, are really, and it's probably important to make note, the Warriors are really playing with house money still being coming out of like a big time injury to their stars, both stars. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we're still, we still got for days yeah. and, and the best team in the league. Yeah, oh, yeah they've, they've still only lost five times in the entire <laughs> playoffs, including, including the finals, including the finals. Um, I have noticed something about Jordan Poole though. And I am talking from a Celtics point of view that have them slated to win in seven games. When I look at what Jordan Poole brings to the Warriors, if the game is in the Warriors' momentum, I'm terrified of Jordan Poole. If the, if they're in rhythm, the offense is flowing, Jordan Poole scares me. If their offense isn't clicking, I want Jordan Poole probably to take every shot. I want the ball in Jordan Poole's hands if their offense isn't clicking because his shot selection is wild. And he's yeah. such a rhythmic player. He reminds me J.R. Smith-esque in that way that if if the game is broken and I'm the other team, please give the ball to J.R. Please okay. give the ball to him because he's going to try to take, he's going to try to make it happen. He's going to try to give all their momentum back in this one play and it might not happen. But if he's playing within the energy of the crowd, within the rhythm of the offense, he's feeding off his teammates. Jordan Poole's actually probably one of the last people I want to have want them to have the ball. And I think game two is evident of that. When he, when he comes into the game and Steph Curry is the only one hitting shots, they're, they're, everyone's still struggling. The game is is a lot low scoring. Jordan Poole struggles. They start to gain all this momentum in the second quarter going into halftime, and all of a sudden, Jordan Poole is the is the straw that's breaking the camel's back. So if I'm if I'm Boston, if I keep them contained, Jordan Poole doesn't hurt me. If I let it get off the rails, Jordan Poole might be the one to end to end me. Like you said, Matt, he ended the game. Like he might be the one to end me. It, it's fair also to say that and to give credit to Boston's backcourt. I mean phenomenal defensively like maybe not i mean there there's there's you know the pick and roll defense obviously in game two kind of failed them but when you're going up against Derek white marcus smart Jalen brown even Pey- you know peyton pritchard's undersized but he is a competitor he hey, tries little, hard. Tenacious, yeah, tenacity. so you know that that's really like a big time matchup that i think we highlighted before the series and there's a reason that if if boston were to win i think it would be that they're you know beyond steph curry um, they they hold those other players down pretty well in the Warriors, which to this point you could make the argument they've done. Yeah, to be honest, if Boston's backcourt holds this output for the Warriors' backcourt, I think yeah. they win. Like I, I think if they continue to hold Clay Thompson to under twenty every game, if they continue to hold Jordan Poole to under twenty every game, if they they continue to not get off, Boston puts themselves in a position to win every game. Like I I, I really think. They do. Like, if I'm the Warriors, I'm not satisfied with the output that because Steph Curry cannot do this on his own. Steph Curry needs a little bit of help on the offensive end. Hmm. Um, and who is he get that help from? The next player we're going to talk about for the Warriors, that make or break guy. We will invoke his name. The second splash brother, Clay Thompson, because coming into the conference finals, Clay, we thought Clay had found it. He had strung off a couple of 25 to 30 point games. He was shooting well from the field and we saw it taper down a little bit in the conference finals, but they were playing the Mavs. So, it, you know, it didn't, it didn't hurt him that much. And now he's still struggling to really get it going in the NBA finals, 15 points on 42% from the field in game one, little pedestrian game two, really struggled 11 points or 21 from the field, only hit one, three and eight tries. And in these playoffs, he's shooting 38% from three, 42% when he doesn't dribble. 30% when he dribbles. So a lot of people ask Clay, like, what's the adjustment? What do you got to do? And he said, maybe I got to YouTube or I'm going to YouTube game six Clay. Well, when game six Clay happens, he takes like six dribbles and scores 40 points. All, all of those games, he doesn't dribble the ball. So maybe it's Clay just not trying to force the action, not trying to put the ball on the floor immediately and allow the offense to work, get the ball on your spot and shoot it confidently. And maybe it goes back in. But, Jake, I'll kick this one to you. 
what do we get from Clay through games three and on? Because they need him. The Warriors need him if they're going to want to pull a championship out. Yeah, I think one thing to keep in mind, you know, when gauging Clay Thompson, he missed a ton of time this year. And, you know, it takes a little while to acclimate yourself back into the NBA. And he's had ample time to do that. But I do think that we see that play out going from, you know, the first stretch of games, be it game one, game two, to games three and four, especially this postseason. Uh, when you compare his numbers in the first two games in this series, he's averaging 13 points on 30% from the field, 26.7% uh, from three, which is like not the Clay Thompson that we know uh, at all. And when you look back games three and four this postseason, after he's had a little bit of time to acclimate himself to the team that he's playing, he's averaging 20.7 points, 4.8 rebounds, uh, just about two assists and 48% from the field, 40% from three, which is much more uh, attuned to what you have came to expect over the years with Clay Thompson. So I, I think, you know, it's kind of sad to see that he's been through so many injuries and somewhat isn't the same guy, but he could still, again, like knock down open shots. You don't want to leave Clay Thompson. I mean, like, you know, you're still flying out to Clay Thompson. So um, I would say that he probably does start to turn it around, but. I don't know if we're at, we're seeing like a you know 30, 40 point Clay Thompson vintage performance. We, we may not. Clay is done as a like unstoppable level of force player, which he got to at times in Golden State. Just look at the in Golden State <laughs> before his injuries. In mm -hmm. the twenty nineteen finals, he shot fifty eight percent from three. Fifty eight percent on eight attempts yeah. per game. That's ridiculous. The good news for the Warriors is that he doesn't need to do that because this Warriors team is much better built and around. And if he can just get back to the 38% he's shooting this playoffs, that's fine. That's a very good shooter. That's mm -hmm. going to draw a lot of attention. Way above average. Yeah, and, he, he, and he's had moments this postseason, and he's going to have moments this series. Uh, closeout game against uh, Dallas, he had a really bad... He had kind of a roughish series against Dallas, mm -hmm. points-wise. Uh, he has 32 to close him out, eight threes. Game six against uh, Memphis. Game six play isn't just a thing of the past. It happened a month ago. Uh, and he has 30 points to beat Memphis, including a big fourth quarter to close mm -hmm. him out. So I Clay's fine. His mentality, that the press conference that he gave where he mentioned game six play, he seems like he's in a real good mood. He's, yeah. he, he, he's a guy who own performance doesn't matter as much as a team winning. There's the famous meme of him sitting on the bench after fouling out in the NBA finals, but the Warriors are going to win and he's smiling. So like mm -hmm. he, he's going to get his at some point. Uh, it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And we can see that just from this postseason in games three and four, He's shooting forty percent from three and forty-eight percent. So it's mm. not like his scoring totals aren't that high, but you don't need it to be when you have everything else around them. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you make. You see a lot of players ease into a game. Clay might be easing into a series. We see him, you know, flip the switch in latter parts of the series in the past, and it may just be about that. There's adjustments to be made, and the Warriors are one of the best teams to adjust in the NBA, and they've made an offensive adjustment going into this series. We just talked about it. Steph is way more on ball, way more ball screens to Steph Curry, and I'm wondering how much that is affecting Clay Thompson being off the ball because Clay is is used to Draymond being the facilitator in the offense. I think Draymond knows to drive and kick to the three-point line and where Clay is going to be. Steph Curry isn't the facilitator of that offense. And although Steph Curry's passing has been more on display in game one and game two in the NBA Finals than I think I've ever seen it, not even always leading to assists, just being willing to pass out of or make the right reads and, and pass out of danger, but that's not going to Clay on the three-point line. It's going to Kavon Looney on the inside. It's going to Draymond at the foul line. It's going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to those kind of dump off passes. Clay is not, you know, that that's not how the Warriors offense is is used to running. So I'm I'm just wondering how much that how much we can attest that to 
Clay being off that the offense is run a little bit differently. And to Matt's point about Clay easing it in, we may see the adjustment and Clay start to get into it games three, four, and on right. because now we know how the offense is run. Now we know how to get Clay more involved into it. What Steph makes these reads. So I'll be interested to see that because I mean, uh, Jake, you kind of said it like we can't, I can't bake on Clay Thompson staying down for an entire series. If you do, I think Boston, you really have to start looking at Boston's defense about how great they can be. But at some point, Clay is coming, right? Like at some point, you got to expect him to, to. And even if it's not like a whole game, like it'll be a big shot. Like there's going to be some impact that Clay Thompson's going to have to have on this series for the Warriors to win. And I think that he'll make it. That I don't know if I'd bank on like a big game though. Right, right, right. Okay, so we'll, we'll end. Well, we're actually you know, getting to the, to the end of the pot, so we'll end this on a little bit. I see a question in the script, and I like it. I want to I get down to it. Beyond Steph and Tatum, so beyond the Warriors' best player, beyond the Celtics' best player, rank the players in the series that you'd be most scared of taking a big shot if you're, if you're opposing fans. So game comes down the line. Ball's not in Steph's hands. Ball's not in Tatum's hands. So, Jake, your players you'd be most scared of to take a, a, a game-winning shot from these teams. Yeah, I had a little bit of trouble with this because it's like personally, like like in terms of my mental welfare, it would be Al Horford is who I would be most scared of. But realistically, uh, you're going to have to go with Jalen Brown. I think he is, as we talked about, Klay Thompson's had his struggles. So like, while I think he's still very capable of being the guy to knock down the shot, right now I would go with like, a guy who's more likely to be in rhythm at the time of shooting like Jalen Brown, who, you know, needs the ball in his hands, dribbling. And he has knocked down some big shots before um, in the playoffs. So I would go Jalen Brown one, Clay two, Horford three. And then here's where you can kind of, uh, beyond three, it kind of gets up in the air. I go pool four, uh, just because it can be, as you said, that big knockdown momentum shot. And then Grant Williams five. The prototypical hmm. Celtics shouldn't be good at three-point shooting, but is just sitting out there. Is. You leave him open. But he hasn't been. But he, he really hasn't been in the series. He's, yeah. he's also engaged in a mind game that he's not going to win with Draymond. And right. I think the Celtics might be sacrificing him for that, yeah. for that reason. Those are my top five. Matt, go ahead. Who are you scared of? Yeah, so I think I don't care how cold Clay is. It's Clay. I agree. Clay's yeah. one. Uh, uh-huh. Jalen Brown, two. Anytime the Celtics shoot, I pray it's not Tatum or Brown, so Brown's there. Jordan Poole, just because he can go on runs where he is, where he becomes the most dangerous like player you're afraid of taking a shot of in the moment. Um, I think you could honestly argue him higher, but that's unfair to Brown. And then Derek White. Um, Derek White shoots 30.5% from three. I don't think I've ever seen him miss. <laughs> game two. Game two, he made every three imaginable. Off the dribble in the corner, contested. He made, he made every dribble or every three imaginable. Let, let me um, paint a picture real quick for Matt, though, because I see that Horford, out of, I think, saltiness is excluded from this list. But Jake, Jake, uh, Al Horford's not hitting a big shot. Down <laughs> like, four. Your team's down four. 50 seconds left. The ball gets kicked wow. to a wide open Al Horford. No, I'm a little scared. No, no, I'm, I'm a little scared. petrified. <laughs> In my history, I've never seen a player hit more of those shots than like a perfectly swung and perfectly no. rotated ball to Al Horford. No, no, no. I'm a, I'm a little scared. Yeah, when, when, you, you paint, when you paint the scenario, you know, Martha Martian's got the death beam pointed at me. I you know I might I might want Al Horford. I, might, <laughs> I, I swung want, to Al Horford, not an Al, Al Horford, Horford, anything else. You gotta get in rhythm. In rhythm, Al Horford. I'll give my quick list. One, Matt, I agree with I I agree with you. Um, no Cal Cody is he can miss his next 25 shots. If the game's on the line and the ball gets swung to clay, you can't tell me that you you, you know what I mean you you you'd you'd rather him than somebody else take the shot like, yeah. I just, you can't no you, the ball got to be out of his hands clay has proven that too many times the second one is where i have a little bit of trouble because you're right it should be on paper jalen brown but the player i know jalen brown is he's not a knockdown shooter he's not a catch and shoot guy like if he gets the ball maybe out of the out of the side of a you know out of an inbound that gets a you know a chance to size up his defender and take a step in three, it may go in. But in the flow of the like, can I bank on that? I'm not sure. But then you talk about Jordan Poole and Derek White. Like I'm watching Derek White hit all these shots that he needs to make. He and when he's 
counted on and he's relied upon, he knocks them down. And if Derek White is on the floor at the end of the game and the ball gets kicked to him, I'm confident he's making that shot. And if I'm the Warriors, he's not the person I want to see. I might put Derek White too, followed by Jalen Brown and then Jordan Poole after that, and Grant Williams might get a knock. I also think Warver looking both Andrew Wiggins and Marcus Smart, Smart. a little bit yeah, in these Smart. roles. Marcus Smart, for sure. Now, I'm not sure if Marcus Smart is going to knock down the shot, but what he's shown multiple times in these playoffs is he's going to make the right read. Look yeah. at look at the game winner um, against Milwaukee in game one, right? Like Marcus Smart gets the ball kicked to him with four seconds left. Oh, I'm sorry, against Brooklyn. Marcus Smart gets the ball kicked to him with four seconds left, and everyone thinks that shot's going up. And he pump fakes, splits the defense, and finds a cutting Jason Tatum for the actual game winner. That's, that's an incredible read at the end of the game. So the shot making, not, but I, I would trust Marcus Smart with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. But I really think everyone's overlooking Derek White for this question. I really do. We're Derek White haters. Certified. We are. Well, you're, all the guys that we named are going to see people. Jalen Brown's going to see multiple people. Jalen right. Brown's one-on-one. Right. I think it's a defensive lapse. If, if – Jordan Poole's one-on-one. It might be a defensive lapse. Derek White is going to find himself either open or with one person on him. And I like that. I like that shot for him. Yeah. Don't sleep on Derek That's White, fair. man. That's fair. Yeah. Um, before quick, before we go, real quick. If if who, who's your take for finals MVP? Oh. Um, yeah, if I had to, like, the favorite's definitely Curry because I think they're going to win. And if the Warriors win, it cannot be anyone but Curry. Like, I won't hear an argument for anyone but Curry. But um, I I think in terms of value, if we're talking betting market-wise, oh, here you go. Here I'm going to look go. at, like, a, a Jason Tatum or, or Jalen Brown. Probably those are the only three that I think can win it, though. Um, I'm definitely going Jason Tatum. I only bring this up because um, – the NBA ladder came out for finals MVP and mm. I saw Kavan Looney three and Jason Tatum four. I'll say it again. I saw Kavan Looney three and Jason Tatum four. I understand that their logic is they think the Warriors are going to win. So it's more likely that like Kavan Looney gets it. But my logic is it is more likely the Celtics win and Jason Tatum gets finals MVP than it ever is the Warriors win and Kevon Looney gets finals. The idea that it's like clearly more likely that Golden State wins when it's a 1-1 series. Yeah. Like, well, like, it's the one thing if you think there's a favorite, but like it's not right. like a clear edge. The, the latter went Steph Curry. It was three Warriors and then Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So it went Steph Curry, probably Andrew Wiggins. Yeah. <laughs> Kavon Looney. Yeah, it's bonkers. Jason Jason Tatum. Let me like, how honestly, Kavon, honestly, how Kavon Looney finds himself in this mix was beyond me. Honestly, Al Horford's getting slept on. It's about finals Agreed. MVPs about how you do in your team's wins. Yeah. If he play if he had a great he was the best player in their one win. So mm-hmm. like a long, long shot. How much better does Horford. he have to be than than Tatum for them to win? And not give it to you know what I'm saying? Or Brown. Or Brown. There's four there's four there's four wins to win a series. He was the best player in one, so he needs to be the best player in another one, and then Tatum can't be both of the other wins. Right. It's not gonna happen. But yeah. it's but more likely than Kavon Looney doing it. Yeah, it's uh, more yeah likely I agree. Than that. It's definitely more but, likely yeah. than Kavon yeah. Looney. It's really just all I wanted to gripe about is you know Kavon Looney That's being fair. above Jason Tatum for ladder. But we're almost out of time for this episode of Straight Facts. As always, we can get some shots about the buzzer. Who's got a shot at the buzzer for me? I want to yell at, yell at complete somebody. greedy pieces mm-hmm. of crap golfers. Mm-hmm. The join oh. these golfers joining the Ooh, LIV, the Saudi back. Yeah, explain that. Explain that to me because I'm a little, so, I'm a little like confused. On yeah, the whole so situation. so basically, the Saudi government. Is wants good PR for themselves because they do a lot of horrible things, including sure. killing uh, an American journalist with a and sure. then sawing him up and dismembering him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and they have a lot of money because of they're a royal family. So they decided they're going to improve their PR by plastering their name on a bunch of different sports things. So people, when they think Saudi Arabia. They think, oh, the golf. Oh, we own Newcastle United, the Premier League team. 
they, they're trying to get it so it's more kind of acceptable in their thing. So they're investing their money for PR to cover their atrocities. And uh, Phil Mickelson is the head. They're paying him 200 mil um, hmm. to do this, which uh, Phil has like, it's like, there's like documented stuff about like, he's like a big, like he has a gambling problem. I heard he's, yeah. Really. Like he's, he's so, like, so, so, okay, but before so, we get into that, like explain, like what, what, what is it? What's going on? Cause I don't it's, understand. It's, why competitive, out of the PGA. it's a competitive league to the PGA. Gotcha. It's like the USFL to the NFL. Except but, they're but actually getting like real right, golfers. Right. Yeah, getting, Dustin, jo- Dustin, Dustin Johnson, Johnson Brian, yeah, like, Sergio Garcia, Phil Mickelson. Yeah. Like these are uh, Louis Oosthuizen. Like these, like there's a lot of like really good golfers in this. And um, if you join that, you can't play in any PGA Tour events except mm. for majors. Um, oh, I didn't know that. I thought yeah, it was all PGA because Tour. Um, so, open. So the- yeah. I, I, actually, I don't know about the PGA Championship. I know you can play in both opens because the opens are by definition open. Literally anyone can start a tournament and try to make the U.S. Open starting in local qualifying tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Masters is a private invitational. So at least three of the tournaments. So my thing is just take one for the team. If you're a spectator at like the Masters or the U.S. Open or the British and and yell in their backswing like, just like blood money or mm. something like that because these these people on his protest vibe why i don't understand i just it's a mindset i just cannot fathom if you have 15 million in the bank like and i'm underestimating dustin johnson i'm sure because he's a lot of brand deals too and he's married to wayne gretzky's daughter why do you need the why why do you need to accept Matt, oh, matthew 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 come no, on man in your you, life you, matthew, matthew, no but matthew. what in your life changes by do, by nothing, nothing. you're but just are now you, adding you, generations of family yeah, that are good are good but you can't there, there's there's the like I, I understand your logic and your confusion but are you surprised that a professional athlete is chasing a bag no i'm not over surprised over by morals? It's, a, it's it's the pga isn't skimping like <laughs> they're not big prizes for the for PGA. sure. Is it is it Saudi money? <laughs> because because they told that boy Phil Mickelson here go one mil. No, PGA gets their money. I'm mostly pr- probably from ad revenue from their uh all their stuff and brand deals and stuff. Like, like realistically though, like if the Saudi football league said, "Hey Tom Brady, we have one billion dollars for you. Come over and play over here." He's there. Like everyone's got a Guess guess where Thomas? Everyone has a price. Guess where Thomas telling Giselle and the kids we move into? <laughs> if they flash that money, it's, yeah, we going we going overseas, man. Like no, no, Bra- Bra- I, I, I'm the Brady hater. Brady wouldn't do that. I'm telling you, he wants to play in the I NFL would. against the best competition. NFL's a little he, different because, because he's a like, competitive nut right. and he's obsessed yeah. with winning it's, at the highest level. It's it's not, and, and it's a little bit different because it's in a league. But take take a sport that has individual players like tennis. Like if they flash, if they, I think if they flash a bag at you know. Djokovic, you know, Joker's going where the bag is. They flash a bag at, you know, uh, since he passed, he's going where the bag is. Like, that's just, that's what happens, man. I, that's just what happens in professional sports. Jake, you got something about the buzzer? I do. After we are done this recording, uh, mm-hmm. I will be uh, watching Hustle, um, which is the Adam Sandler movie that was filmed outside of my house. So dope. So dope. Juancho Hernan Gomez, funny enough was that he's like the main lead in that uh, movie, which is funny. He's like some like star who comes over from Spain. Like, oh, he did do that in real life. Then he wasn't like any good. He's not but, that good, right. Uh, he will win a ring. If the Celtics win, he will be getting a ring. Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, he started the season with them. But I'm wondering if I may flake on that movie and just watch the finals because I'll miss like the first half of the finals if I go watch it. So yeah, I'm not watching. I'm gonna watch the movie at some point this weekend, probably. But I'm not gonna miss. I'm gonna the forget. For it. I'm gonna forget that a member of my podcast say he may not watch the finals tonight. I'm gonna, I'm I would watch it at some point. It just me. may not be live. Okay, Nick. I will watch. I, I, I will watch part of it. Live, we forgot to mention an important Celtic that can win a ring, and that's Sauce Castillo, Nick Stauskas. Oh my gosh, yeah, Nick Stauskas. 
donning an NBA court in 2022 is another thing that just electrified got me. Finals, hey, got finals minutes, baby. He ah, got finals minutes, ah, baby. He's going to have game shots. Of, he got the jersey with the NBA finals. He's got the patch. Oh, and it's got a little, right. and, and Jake, and it got a little sweat on it now. Oh, now that's not right. Now it's game warm. Now not it's right. game warm. God, beautiful. Um, the only thing I have to say at the buzzer is there are times where I where I wish my our job, our our profession as podcasters and, and media um, media members wasn't so connected to social media. Um, because I don't know about you guys, but just over like, you know, the past month, couple of weeks, social media has been real negative for me. It's been real toxic. My timeline hasn't been filled with positive things. And that starts to get to me at a time. And it, it gets to me even more when I realize that unplugging is more difficult for people like us who like our jobs are so much on social media. It revolves around, it revolves around interaction, revolves around posting, revolves around seeing what other people are doing that. I feel that if I do disconnect from it, that I'll be too disconnected from what I need to see um, in terms of, you know, sports media and, and sports interaction. So this is just me kind of, you know, peeling back the curtain a little bit and sharing what I've been going through. Anybody else out there who's been going through the same thing, you know, I feel you um, and just, you know, kind of pray for, better t- days for our world because I think social media is just a um, really dramatic reflection of what's going on in the world. So when the world's bad, social media is terrible. So pray for better times for our world. And hopefully social media gets a little bit better, man. Cause you know, it's been, a, it's been weighing on me a little bit. Not going to lie. It's been a little bit, a little, um, little much lately. And I wish I could just, just, you know, unplug from it completely, but people need the real Jimmy J. So yeah, I can't, I, I hear you. That is so brutal. Like you really can't take off. Like, uh, you know, I mean, obviously it's a little different, but like I work with radio hosts who a lot of them do because they are on and they, you know, have a scheduled show. A lot of them just kind of like, oh, like, no, you know, hands up in the air of social media. Mm-hmm. And that's like looked down on in the company. Like, oh, like this yeah. guy doesn't have a lot of social media followers. Like on one hand, I get it. On the other, I'm like, dang, like you really do Why have to be always plugged yeah, in. Yeah, you got to be plugged in. Like it's, it's, it's a huge barometer. So, um, we all we all know how how bad social media can be. So I just you know reminder everyone that you know put your phone down for a little bit throughout the day. Go enjoy real life because that that breath of fresh air of reality it helps for when you have to go and and plug back into social media to the fake world. But mm-hmm. um, that's all the time we have for this episode of Straight Facts. It was a great one. Shout out to our guy Kyle Sirik out there uh, with the great uh, boyfriend duties. Also, happy birthday to Mrs. Kyle Sirik out there. Uh, shout out to everyone on the Up On Game Network, LeVar Arrington, Puxville Burris, and TJ Hushmanzada. And shout out to my guys, Jake Galley and Stat Matt Robinson. I'm James Jackson. These have been the facts. Straight up.